I want to jump right into the scriptures this morning um, and go, go, go through them uh, kind of quick like and uh, to give you some background and everything. And right after we go through the scriptures, I'm going to jump right into it because I've got something I want to talk to you guys about, and, uh, something that my, that my, the next several weeks of my sermons are going to be based on. Um, like I said, you know, me, we're, we're heading out of town for the next week, week and a half or so. Um, but after we get back, uh, I'm going to have a sermon series based on what we're going to talk about today. And I wanted to give you an in, kind of an introduction to what all this is going to be about. So the scripture comes out of the uh, 1 John chapter 4. You can see it's verses 7 through 12. And uh, just, just for a little bit of background as, as far as what's going on with 1 John, most people believe that the, the, the author of the Gospel of John is the same author of, of 1, 1 John as well. And it was probably written about a decade after the Gospel of John was written. And uh, just like so many things in the, in the New Testament, it's, it's written to churches. It's written to a, to a community of churches. And in this specific instance, uh, the, the, the communities that it is being written to is going through some things. I know this is going to shock some people. This actually happened 2,000 years ago. But the churches were going through, uh, through a split. <laughs> people, people, were separating, people were separating themselves through the churches, or they were, or they were being pushed out of the churches, however you want to look at it. Uh, for a number of reasons, the people that were separating themselves from this in this particular instance, uh, a couple of things. Number one, they, 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 uh, they did not want to confess that Jesus Christ, that God had come in the flesh, for one thing. So that put them at odds with, with Christian orthodoxy. Uh, they had some issues with the way that John, the author of this book, uh, was teaching on the subject of love, which is something we're going to be talking about today as well, and a couple of a couple other issues that just uh, that, that was causing that separation. So uh, we get to First John chapter four, and this is this is what we read again. Keep in mind that you know John John talks a lot about love. I don't know if you've, if you've ever read his gospel or if you've ever read First, Second, or Third John, but the idea of Christian love is a major major topic. John, um, and, he, and he really expresses it, in my opinion, probably better than any other New Testament author that you're going to read. So, like I said, he, uh, some of the folks that were separating from the church at the time had, were taking issue, for whatever reason, with the way that John was teaching this idea of love, but he doesn't hold back. John doesn't hold back on what Christian love is, and, and he gives the best example that he could possibly give for us, and, which is God himself. So, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, this is what we read. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know love, whoever does not love, does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. It's the word of God for the people of God. There's two things that I want you guys, that I want to point out, I want you guys to take home from these scriptures today. Um, and both of them are located in the first, the first couple of verses. Uh, verse 7, let me reread that. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God 
and knows God. What you see in that first verse there, in verse 7, is something that we have talked about at Bemis so much. So much over the last year, so much over the last 13, almost 13 months now. We see in verse 7 a, a concise synopsis, if you will, of our primary Christian ethic. Our primary Christian ethic. Everything that we are describes everything that we are called to be in all of our relationships, all of our circumstances. This is our primary posture as Christians. This is our starting point as Christians. Love one another. No ifs, no ands, no buts. We've talked about this again really since I've been here. But I just have to drive home this point because everything else flows from that. Everything else that we talk about in the church, everything else we talk about in our personal lives, everything that we do in our communities, everything that identifies us as Christians flows from this one thing. Our primary Christian ethic. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everything that we think, everything we are, every word that comes out of our mouths, every action we take as followers of Jesus is grounded and motivated by love for other people. Y'all remember this. We've talked about this. We talked about this when I first came for probably a month or two. And I've repeated it over and over and over. I don't have to tell y'all what Christ said was the greatest commandments, commandments when he was asked. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. It does not get any simpler than that. That is our starting point and that is our primary posture. And that's what John writes and calls out here, in this ver here at the beginning of this verse. Into the next verse, verse 8 is the second thing I want you guys to grasp, to, to uh, take in and to take home and, and really just, 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 just draw this in and understand this and, and, and embrace this as, as, as just ultimate truth. Let me read it to you again. Whoever does not know God, whoever does not love does not know God because God is... Dang, everybody said it. That's awesome. Because God is love. We read verse 8, and in, you know, no uncertain terms, John tells us the ultimate character of God. Church, I can't overemphasize the importance of this one little verse that we find in this one little book in the New Testament. I cannot overemphasize it. In no uncertain terms, John tells us not just who God is, but what God is. God is love. Think about if somebody describes you like that. What is, what is Kevin Milne? Kevin is love. What is Sandy Hudson? Sandy is love. Are y'all taking that in now? Y'all taking in the fullness of this? God is love. This is his ultimate characteristic. This is his ultimate quality, his temperament. Everything that God is, again, flows from what God is. God is love. It's the defining quality of our creator. 
John also backs up the words of Jesus, you know, telling us the way that we live out our Christian lives is through allegiance, commitment, and relentless love towards others. You know, we've talked about in the past, so, that, so that's, that's what I want you to glean out of these two scriptures. Um, everything else, you know, 9 through, nine through 12 just kind of goes on to flesh out those two ideas a little bit. But that's what I want you to get out of these, of these scriptures is, again, our primary Christian ethic to love other people and the knowledge, the heart knowledge, not just the head knowledge, to fully take in the fact that everything that God is, not just who he is, not just, but what he is, God is love. <clears throat> and we've talked about this so much, y'all. We've, we've talked about how difficult it can be to, uh, to really love people like Jesus wants us to love people. Uh, we all know what Jesus said. We all know what Jesus commands us to do. We all know the teachings of Christ. We all know the greatest commandments, like I mentioned a second ago, loving others as ourselves. So much of his teaching in the Gospels goes back to just that one simple idea. That one simple idea. <clears throat> but we're fickle people. <laughs> and we're fail, frail people. And it's hard for us to do that a lot of times. So this sermon series is, is going to be kind of about two things. And I'll tell you what those two things in, are in a second. But I want to give you a little bit of background of where, where I'm actually getting this from. Um, a number of years ago, and it's been, it's, it's been quite some, some years. Sandy and I invited a few friends over to our house to do a book study on uh, a book that I had been given as part of a class that I was taking at the time. And, and this is it. The, the name of it is The Good and Beautiful God. And uh, it was written by a guy that at the time I, didn't, I ne had never heard of him before, but since then he's really become one of my favorite authors. And uh, his name is James Bryan Smith. And coincidentally, I didn't know this at the time either, uh, but he's also a United Methodist elder. Um, and again, everything that I've read from him has just, has just, since that time has just been absolutely wonderful. But the premise of the book is really simple. Um, you know, like I said, like I, earlier, we know what we're called to do. We know what we're called to be as Christians. We're called simply to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We know this. Christianity 101. We're called to be disciples of Jesus Christ, and we know that. Um, but again, we're fickle, we're frail, and we fail to do that so, so often. We struggle. We struggle with our relationship with God. We struggle with our relationships with other people. And we struggle with our ability this is important, too. We struggle with our ability to grow spiritually. We struggle with our ability to grow into Christ like this, as we are called to do, as we're called to be. <clears throat> so here's the thing. You know, if we're supposed to be these things, if we're supposed to be Christ's followers, if we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, if we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, how do we do that? How do we become what Christ has called us to become. And that's kind of the subject material of the book, and that's going to be the subject material of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks after, after Sandy and I get back. Um, what I would do, what I would encourage you guys to do over the next couple of weeks, if you're interested, if you are able, I'd, I'd encourage you to get a copy of this book if you can. Again, the name of it is The Good and Beautiful God. It's by James Brian Smith is the author's name. You can go to Amazon, Thrift Books, whatever, online, and you can find them pretty, pretty doggone cheap at this point. Uh, but I'd encourage you to get that over the, um, between now and, and we, when we pick the subject back up uh, in a couple of weeks <clears throat> so that you'll have a firm foundation and so that you'll get a good introduction of where we're going with this. 
But one of the main premises, once again, if not the main premise of this book, is the idea that in order for us to really have trusting, fruitful, faithful, committed, and loving relationships with God and others, we first have to have a right understanding about God's nature, which brings us back to verse 8. Because I think we have a hard time really taking this in. We can read it, and we can believe it in our heads that God is love. But at the end of the day, I think so many of us, including myself, really, really struggle with fully, fully taking this knowledge from our heads to our hearts. And when we're able to do that, when we do get to the point we're able to do that, everything changes. Our relationships with people change. Our relationship with God changes. Our ability to grow and walk alongside Jesus and the Holy Spirit in that growth period changes. It is enhanced. We have to have a right understanding about God's nature, who God is. Because ultimately, like I said, what we believe, listen to me now, I want you to listen to this statement, I want you to, and I want you to think about yourself, and I want you to think about other people that you might know. What we believe about God will ultimately determine the quality of our relationship with Him and with other people. What we believe about God will ultimately determine the quality of our human relationships and our relationships with God Himself. Do we really believe that God is love? If I really believe that, if I believe that is the nature of God, is, is, not has. It doesn't say God has love. It doesn't say God loves. I'm going to drive home that point of the word is. It says God is. If we really believe that, we're going to have a pretty doggone good relationship with God. And if we believe that God loves us and that God loves people, like we say we believe, it's going to enhance our relationships with other people. It's also going to enhance our ability to grow spiritually. Aha! What about those people? And we all know them. Maybe we have been them at some point. What about these people who believe that the nature of God is vengeance and wrath and judgment. I'm not saying God doesn't participate in these things. We know He does. We'll talk about that at some point in the series as well. But what about these people who believe that the nature of God really isn't so much love as it is wrath and judgment? How do they treat people? How are their relationships with other people? How do they talk to other people, especially non-Christians? Y'all know what I'm getting at here. What we believe about God matters. What we believe about the nature of God matters. In many circumstances, the primary point of all of this is very often we, and, and, and a lot of us are guilty of this stuff as well, and we're going to try to undo some of this stuff. But what I'm getting at, and what the primary point is, again, of the book and the sermon series, is we believe a lot, we have a tendency to believe a lot of false things about God. We have built false narratives in our heads 
and, in, and even in our hearts about the nature of God. We've built these false narratives. Maybe we've been taught these false narratives. I'm going to give you an example in a second. Maybe we've been taught these false narratives that we believe about God, that we believe about Jesus, that we even believe about the Bible. Maybe we've been taught those things. Maybe we've embraced them. And they very oftentimes they influence us greatly. First thing we have to do in order to become what Christ calls us to do, to be, and to have this enhanced and pure relationship with God is we have to recognize these false narratives that we've bought into. We have to recognize these things that we've told ourselves. We have to replace them with authentic, real, and true narratives that are given to us through Scripture, through Jesus, and through God. One of the reasons that we struggle so much with God, and all of us do this, I do this, but one of the reasons we struggle so much with God and one of the reasons that we fail to be transformed into the image of Christ as much as we may want it is that we have embraced these false ideas about God. You may think that you haven't, but you have, and I'm going to prove it to you in just a second. Let me give you an example, okay? If y'all were to go to the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, you're going to find this story where Jesus is walking along with some of the disciples. And they come upon this guy, this man who has been blind since birth. Some of y'all know where I'm going with this. Y'all have heard this story at least once or twice. And the disciples, they, look, they see this guy, keep in mind, born blind since birth. <clears throat> and the disciples see this guy and they look over to Jesus and they ask him a question. They say, Jesus... What did he do? What sin did he commit? Or what sin did his parents commit that have made him blind since birth? Did y'all catch that? What did this man do? Or what did his parents do that caused him to be blind from birth? Jesus corrects them. He says, nobody committed a sin. Nobody's, nobody's sin has been the cause of this man's blindness. You see, that was a common false narrative that people believe about God in that time. One of those narratives was that God is going to punish my children because of my sin. God's going to cause this child to be blind because of some kind of sin of the parents. A second belief, and you're not going to believe this, that this was what they believed. They believed at the time that a child could sin in the womb. And because of that sin, that child could be born blind or have some other type of disease. That was a common belief about who God was, how God operated, how sin and deformities worked. Now, we all know today that's an absolutely insane and preposterous idea. But many of us still have similar ideas. Let's look back at the, God, at the uh, book of Job. We've been going through the book of Job in our Wednesday night Bible study for the last eight or nine weeks now. Job suffers greatly. If you're not familiar with the story, I'll give you the short version. Job, this guy Job, who is absolutely the most righteous person in the world that you can think of. Holy, righteous, loves God, in God's favor, everything. Perfect. As perfect as perfect, as perfect can be in, in regards to a human. Job starts suffering, right? And he, and he starts suffering greatly, man. He loses everything. He loses all of his material possessions. Most of his family dies. He loses his family. He starts losing his health. He's just, you know, 
stuff that you would not want to happen to your worst enemy. This guy is going through it all. And he don't know what's going on, right? So what happens as we read into the story of Job is he is, he is visited basically by these people. The Bible refers to him as, as his friends. And these are supposedly very wise men who have very close relationships with God, whose theology is, is wonderful, and they know all about the ways and the nature of God. And what do they tell Job? They tell Job he is suffering because of his sins. He is suffering because of his unrighteousness. Clearly, if you are going through this much stuff, if all of this is happening to you, and you are losing all this and, this and this great amount of suffering, there is no doubt you have to be doing something sinful. You have to be doing something unrighteous, something really, really bad. And they get on to him and get on to him and get on to him. We know reading the book that Job hadn't done anything. <laughs> that Job was absolutely a righteous person and that God was not punishing him. They, who were telling him this, swore by it because they knew what they were talking about. They believed a false narrative about God and how God operates. How many of us still do that today? Y'all see where I'm going with this? Y'all see where I'm getting, get, go, getting <clears throat> what I'm getting at? I want you to think of that um, for a couple weeks. You know, what, what false narratives have, have we embraced when it comes to understanding and believing about the nature and the character of God? Let me give a couple common modern-day examples. This is, this is one that's really big, and uh, I'm not going to go into it, to it in great detail because it's, 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 it's so prominent, uh, but I do want to get into it later at some point. A lot of time... One of the reasons that we believe that we're not growing spiritually is that we're just not trying hard enough. If I put a little bit more effort into this, I'll get better. And we keep failing, and we keep failing, and we keep failing, and we keep failing. Same thing happens when we are struggling, maybe, with a particular sin. Anger, what, whatever, resentment, bitterness, whatever sin might be. Why can't I get past this? Why can't I get through this sin? Probably because I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not putting enough personal effort into it. That's a false narrative that we tell ourselves. I'm guilty of it. Maybe we think God is displeased with us, like Job, when something bad happens to us. Maybe when we lose a job. Maybe when we get sick, when a loved one gets sick. We go through difficulties with our finances or our relationships. God's mad at me. God's doing something to me. Clearly I've messed up. This is a false narrative that we tell ourselves, and it's very, very common. Just two of them. Those are just two examples about God that many of us believed or believe, or at least we believed it at one time. And those greatly affect our perception of who God is. It greatly affects our perception of who God is, and it affects our relationship with God, and it affects our ability to grow spiritually. So how do we overcome these? How do we overcome these, these beliefs, these things that have been implanted in our heads, or maybe we just took them on ourselves? How do we overcome that? How do we get past these false ideas that have either been created or have been taught to us in order to experience that fullness of life that God really wants for us and that Jesus tells us that we can have? The simple answer, simple answer is that we understand the narratives of Jesus. The simple answer is that we replace 
these false things that we believe with true things that Jesus actually taught us and what he tells us. We replace them with what Jesus has modeled for us in the Gospels. Jesus is the source. The Gospels are the source that reveal to us who God is. Jesus provides us with the truth about God, and he directs us in the way of life that leads to God. The way that we overcome these false narratives is to look to Jesus and his narratives. We're not going to go into that today, this, um, but I hope to some degree this has is, this is piqued your interest. Um, and I know that you can probably argue with a couple of things that I've said, and there's a reason that I haven't said some of these. Certainly there are times when we are corrected because of our sins. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's not all the time. I'm, not, I'm saying that God ain't out to get you. Okay? If the primary characteristic of God is love, God ain't out to get you. Just like I talk about our church being for people, for each other in the congregation, for people outside the community, God is for us. He's not trying to hurt us. He wants the best for us. If God is love, and I will tell you all day that certainly at times God exercises judgment... He exercises, he, he, he exercises even punishment, I would say, and correction for our sins, just like any good parent would. But that ain't his motivation. God's number one motivation is what the Bible and Jesus tell us are his motivation, and that is to love us 100%. And that's what we're going to talk about. How do we undo some of these things that make us struggle so much with God and so much with growth? We're going to unpack all that. We're going to unpack all that um, in a couple. Start unpacking it in a couple weeks. Again, you know, guys, I would encourage you to buy that book online if you're able to. If you're able to start reading it, I really think it, it, it made a huge impact on my life. And and still, and this is we're talking eight nine years probably at some point since I actually picked this since we got together and did that Bible that, that study of this book. Um, I would say this book and a couple others. I would I would list among the best ones that have, that God is besides the Bible that God has used to change me and, and impact my own spiritual growth um, and I think it'll do the same for you as well lastly I want you guys again over the next couple of weeks to try to identify some of those false narratives in your life what do you believe about God that might not exactly be right <laughs> what do you believe about God what false narratives have you maybe been taught or do you believe and you don't even know why you believe it about the nature and the character of God that inhibits your relationship with God it keeps you from having that relationship that is available to us all. That good and that beautiful relationship. A lot of times, and that, this just came to me, a lot of times it's, it's shame and guilt. You know, we don't want to go before God because we carry a bunch of shame and guilt. That's what God's for. <laughs> That's His purpose, man. Don't be afraid to go to God. But what do we think? What are some of these false narratives? Think about that stuff for a couple weeks. Do the things. Here's the, here's the main point. I'm going I'm to shut up and I'm going to pray and we're all going to get out of here. Do the things that you believe about the character of God. Do the things that you believe about the nature of God help or hinder your relationship with God and others. If they hinder your relationship, if they cause you to struggle with your relationship with God, with your relationship with other people, if they cause you to struggle with your ability 
to grow spiritually, you need to look at it. You need to ask yourself why. And honestly, you need to get rid of it. God is not going to give you something evil. <laughs> okay? Does what I believe about God hinder or help my ability to live in relationship with Him and others? Lean into those questions for a couple weeks. Kevin, I'm not going to ask you all to come up front. I know we've had a good long and a good service this morning. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray real quick. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I pray over you guys, y'all can be dismissed. Gracious Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for, the, for your presence that's undoubtedly been with us this morning, God. Lord, we thank you for the love and for the healing uh, that we, have un we just know we've experienced over this last hour. We thank you so much for our, our community, for our brothers, for our sisters. And uh, God, we just thank you for grace. God, we just thank you so much that you, that, you, uh, that you have saved a bunch of sinners like us. Help us, God, to go outside of these walls and save some more sinners. For your glory, for your good, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.